and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. To view the entirety of our service, please visit our Facebook page at The Tabernacle Family or our YouTube channel at The Tabernacle Today. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Amen. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. And uh, if you're newer to your Bible, remember there's a table of contents in the front. It'll tell you where the book we talk about is and the page number it's on. And so when we say turn to 2 Thessalonians 3, that's chapter 3. Then we give you a verse number. It's going to be verse 6, but we'll get there in just a moment. There was a man and a woman, and they'd been married for 60 years, and they had shared everything. They had talked about everything. They had kept no secrets from each other except the little old woman had a shoebox in the top of her closet that she cautioned her husband never to open or ask her about. And for all of these years, he'd abided by that, and that was okay. He had never thought about the box, but one day, the little old woman got very sick, and the doctor said she would not recover. He knew he needed to sort out their affairs, and he needed to sort out everything, and his mind drifted, and he thought about that box, and so he took it down and brought it to his wife's bedside, and she agreed that it was time that he should know what was in the box. When he opened it, he found two crocheted dolls and a stack of money totaling $95,000. So he asked her about the contents. She said, well, when we were married, my grandmother told me that the secret of a happy marriage was to never argue. She told me that if I ever got angry with you, I should just keep quiet and crochet a doll. Now, the little old man, he was so moved by that because there was only two dolls there, right? And so he had to fight back tears. Only two precious dolls were in the box. So she had only been angry with him two times in all of those 60 years. And he was so thankful that he almost burst with happiness. But then that question mark came right over his head. And you know what it was about, about the money. So he said, honey, that explains the doll. But what about all this money? Where did it come from? And she said, oh, well, that's the money I made from selling the other dolls after I crocheted all of them. Now, that woman was an industrious woman. She was diligent, and she channeled her anger in a pretty good direction. And today we're going to talk about not being an idle disciple, but instead being a diligent disciple in the ways the Scripture calls for us to be. Now, in June, we finished a sermon series through the book of Revelation, and thanks for your great feedback on that. And in September, we're going to start a series through the little book of Colossians. Now, it's only got four chapters in it, And so uh, many of you, if you go ahead and start now, you can actually read it several times and get the contents of it in your mind and in your heart and head uh, before we uh, start that series in September. This summer, I've been doing a little series just looking at some of the different disciples and the ways Jesus interacted with them and some of the other things that are said. So we started it all by looking at the broken disciple. 
And that tremendous promise about the Messiah that a bruised reed he would not break. In other words, if you were already broken and not able to do what God created you to do, he doesn't despise you. With him, that he accepts the broken reed, and with him, the healing begins. And it's so powerful to think about. Another way that same passage said it was that a flickering candle he will not extinguish. Just that little light, he will take it and nurture it and let it grow to be a fire of love for God and usefulness in uh, your life. We looked at the inviting disciple. We thought about those first disciples who turned to Jesus and then with a joy in their heart grinned at others and said, come and see what Jesus did for me and others did. We looked at the weak disciple the person who is following Christ, but they've got doubts and questions, and the kind of person that says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Take what I have and nurture that, Lord, and grow it. And, uh, you know, it's not wrong to have questions. It is wrong to reject the answers God gives when we don't like them and we'd rather have be wise in our own eyes and go with something else. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We looked at the hard-headed disciple. When the best of us set our mind on earthly things instead of heavenly things, then uh, we are reminded what Jesus said to Simon Peter when Simon Peter did the same thing. Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. You've not got your mind on the things of God. Instead, they're on earthly things, and that happens to the best of us. Last time, we looked at the generous disciple. We looked at the ladies who traveled with Jesus and the disciples and made ministry happen, and we saw that God loves a cheerful giver. All of those were based on Jesus' interactions in the Gospels, Uh, but today we're going to look at Paul's words to some of the disciples in Thessalonica, giving us another kind of disciple to consider, one that we don't want to be. So that brings us back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 6 through 13. Paul writes, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. Some of your translations read unruliness. Walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. The idle disciple. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love and thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for this passage in 2 Thessalonians, Lord, that speaks of someone that we don't want to be like, those who are idle and around the body of Christ but not doing any part to help it grow. Lord, we do pray that instead of being idle, we'd be diligent and industrious in our faith, that we would uh, seek your face. We know that the works we do would, can't save us, Lord. We're only saved by the work you did for us on the cross. But we thank you for the privilege of joining you in what you're doing. We're thankful for the privilege of discovering and using our spiritual gifts. We're thankful that for every believer, you've assured us there is a part to play to help the body of Christ grow and to advance your kingdom, your spiritual kingdom now, even as we await your physical kingdom, Lord God. Lord, we pray that you'll speak to each and every one of us as we look into your word. In Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. There is a lot to commend about the Thessalonican church, the church that was at Thessalonica. We call them the Thessalonians. Um, you think about Acts 1.8, and many of you have adopted Acts 1.8 as a missionary mindset. It said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That was the city they were in. Judea, that was their country. Samaria was the province or the country next door, and then to the ends of the earth. Well, as God would have it, the way the Scriptures lay out, in 1 Thessalonians 1.8, we read that they were a 1-8 church. They were an Acts 1-8 church. In 1 Thessalonians 1-8, Paul commends them for sharing the gospel in Thessalonica. That was the city they were in. In Macedonia, that was their province, their place that they lived. And then Achaia was a province next door. And then he said, you've also shared it everywhere. And so it's kind of neat that what we look to in Acts 1-8 as a model, Thessalon the Thessalonians were, and it's reported about that also in verse 1-8. So I love things like that, don't you? When stuff like that happens. They were also, they had been well taught in prophecy. Uh, we know that 1 Thessalonians, man, that's the great, in chapter 4, where you get the great passage about the rapture of the church. And then in chapter 5, it talks about the day of the Lord. So they had been taught about the imminent rapture before the day of the Lord. They had been taught that one day Antichrist would reign during the tribulation, during the age of wrath that begins with that day of the Lord. And they had been taught that the Lord Jesus would defeat Antichrist at his second coming. So, uh, in the context of that commitment to missions and commitment to even prophecy and things like that, the Thessalonian Christians had been taught to be watchful workers while they awaited Jesus. They were to watch for Him even as they were waiting. They were to work for Him even as they were waiting. It reminds you of a couple of the stories Jesus told about why the, uh, why the owner is far away, the disciples that worked uh, to invest and advance His uh, holdings while He was gone. But some of the disciples there had done some improper reasoning. They thought, well, since the rapture and the events that follow could occur at any time, there's no need to work hard while we wait for Jesus. Why work hard when it could happen at any time? Uh, and why work hard when work is hard? <laughs> we'll just wait, and he'll come at any moment, and so, yay! Um, and they, uh, some of them had quit their jobs. Some of them had slacked off in their ministry work. Others of them would go and spend time with those who were working or ministering, and they'd distract them from getting their tasks done at home or at work or at church. Reminds you of some of those uh, episodes of Andy Griffith, right? You know, one person's working and six people are jawing. <laughs> As more time passed, they couldn't, get their, they couldn't pay their own bills, so they were relying on the goodness of their Christian brothers and sisters to live and eat. Now let's be clear, we're not talking about those who had once worked hard and could not do as much now through physically, through aging, or through disability, or through circumstances beyond their control. The scriptures are clear from cover to cover that it's the honor of the people of God to help those out, to honor those who have worked in the past and can't now and help them. It's an honor to help those that need a hand up. It's an honor to help those uh, who, for whatever reason, are not able to. What we are talking about is those who could work and minister, but had simply stopped doing it. Now, Paul evidently had already seen that this could be a problem among well-taught Christians, because at the end of 1 Thessalonians, he had written what we see in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. You can uh, see it on the screen here. As we urge you, brothers, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, but be patient with all. Now, one thing I love about that verse there 
is that it shows we Christians who care about others, we don't need to apply a one-size-fits-all approach to everybody that we talk to, right? Uh, Jesus himself modeled for us treating different kinds of people differently depending on the needs they had, the need of the moment, their personalities, etc. When he said, get behind me, Satan, to uh, Peter, he knew Peter was knuckle-headed like Danny Campbell and needed to hear it just like that. For others, he would not have spoken those kind of words to them. He would have drawn them out a different way. And so we should approach a faint-hearted disciple, a weak disciple, a discouraged disciple, different than an idle disciple. And Jesus himself modeled that for us, and so did uh, the apostles, I believe. Jesus was an encouragement to the broken, to the faint-hearted. He, was, uh, he helped the weak, and we also have seen Jesus rebuke the hard-headed. Now, one thing we're going to have to get down if we're going to make the most of this passage is, you might have noticed when I read three different times that word idle or idleness occurred, and here it is in 1 Thessalonians 5.14 also. So we need to know about this word. The word for idle in 1 Thessalonians 5.14 and 2 Thessalonians 3 is the Greek word atakteo. Atakteo. And I put the three closely related words there. Those are just different endings for the same word. At its core, it conveys what the military would call disorderly conduct or being out of rank, not doing what you were enlisted to do or being AWOL absent without leave, right? And so you were enlisted to do something for the military, you're AWOL, you're not doing it, you might even be in town away from where you're supposed to be uh, serving, and you're AWOL. And that's what that word has as its connotation. So the King James, the New King James, and the North, uh, New American Standard uh, 2020 version, which is a great version, by the way, translated as unruly, as unruly. The ESV, the CSB, and the NIV all translate it as idle, and the NLT just translates it lazy, because <laughs> it wants you to know this is somebody that could be working and is not. Now, what happens when you put the letter A in front of something? An atheist is not someone who believes in God, like a theist. They are an atheist. They don't believe in God. So when you put that A in front of Takteo, you've got a disciple, and a Takteo disciple does not show up for work or service. It's the opposite of understanding where you fit as a servant of Christ. And that's where it does connect back with Jesus in the Gospels because of his commendation of the centurion who wanted healing for his servant because the word comes into play, the opposite of the word, not the ah version, but the regular version comes into play there in Luke 7. Jesus responded to the man uh, that was a centurion with real positivity and talking about how he had seen that face, faith. And what the man had said was, Lord, you don't need to come to my house because you're, you're, I know who you are. You can say the word from right here and the healing will take place over there. You don't need to be physically where the action needs to happen for it to happen. And as he did that, he said these words, Luke 7, 8. He said, for I too am a man set under authority. There's the word in the positive sense. With soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. He said, I understand how authority works. You're the Lord, so if you say it, it'll happen. Just like I'm the centurion, and when I say my guy to do this, my guys do that, and they do it. And Jesus said, you know what? I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. 
So faith at its core is knowing, understanding he's the Lord and he has every right to ask me to do stuff and when he does, I'll do it, right? That's what it means to say Jesus is Lord. He's got those rights. I want to be a follower, not a rejecter of what he says to me. That's what real faith looks like. Well, the problem with some disciples being AWOL in their service to Christ had gotten worse since 1 Thessalonians was written. And so now we're back in 2 Thessalonians 3 because Paul evidently had to write words again about this problem of some believers who were good in Bible study and were part of supporting missions, it seems like, but were not themselves finding their place of service and sticking to it. So we're going to see Paul's challenge to us as believers in verses 6 through 13 here. And the basic challenge is to be a hardworking disciple and align yourself with hardworking disciples. So in verse 6, we are given a command. And he says it strongly. He says, keep away. When he says in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking about we're under the authority. That's what name conveys, right? Uh, So uh, when in those days when a emperor would send a general to a, uh, or uh, he'd send a note to a general. He would put the command on paper. He would get his signet ring with it and he'd send it there. And it was going in his name. It was going under his authority. And the general would open that up and act on it. So every time it talks about in the name, it's talking about coming with that authority. So when you pray, I hope that you understand this, when you pray, it's not just enough to pray for what you want and then say, I pray in Jesus' name, so you got to do it. Um, no, what you're doing is you might as well use the word authority there. Uh, Lord, I think this should happen as I pray, but I'm submitting myself to your authority because you've got the ability to veto this and do something better with my prayer request than say yes to it. A no is better from you if that's what I need. Wait is better if that's what I need, right? So he said, I command you, brothers, in the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Now, when Paul talks about tradition here, he's talking about both what Paul had taught directly from the Bible and what Paul had modeled by personal example. Paul had not taught it was okay for the able-bodied to take without giving. In fact, he had explicitly taught them the words of verse 10. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And then Paul reminded them of his personal example he had set. And he called them to imitate him by being hard workers like he had been. In verse 8, look at it there. It says, uh, I remind you, with toil and labor we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. So he reminds them that as their church had gotten started, uh, he did not ask them for a salary. Instead, he had worked in his uh, job that he had to provide for his needs. Now, we know from the book of Acts that Paul worked bivocationally by making and selling mobile homes. He was in a mobile home business, right? In Acts 18, verses 1 through 3, we learn that he was a tent maker, uh, which is a mobile home, right? So that's what he did. And of course, there are several examples of Paul also gratefully receiving financial gifts to help him in his missionary work. And at the end of Philippians in chapter 4, he commends them for giving a gift that had helped him as he ministered. Um, And then again in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, he stated that established churches should take care of their pastors financially so they can focus on ministry. They can do the hard work of preparing messages and leading the people to be on mission with God. And we want to thank you for all that you do to provide for our church staff. But back in 2 Thessalonians, he says it was not because we didn't have the right to take a salary, 
but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. He wanted this church to get started right and thank God for all the bivocational ministers and church planners out there uh, who work a full-time job and then plan a church you know, on the, on the side or that's what they view as their main thing, but they're also doing something else to pay the bills. We're so grateful for all of our church planners. By the way, there are now 810 Southern Baptist Conservatives of Virginia churches And we currently have 80 church plants in the work with people dedicated just like that. Some who are having most of their needs met through partner churches and through gifts, uh, but many who are working a part-time or full-time job and praise the Lord that they do that. Okay, so Paul says, keep away from those who are idle, but imitate those who know how to work. I really like what he says in Ephesians 4.28. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So don't take any longer. Instead, labor, work with your own hands that you can have something to share with anyone in need. And that's what we see from cover to cover in the Bible. It extols working to provide for your own needs, to meet the needs of your family, working yourself into a position that you can generously share to meet the needs of others in your church and community. Turn to Galatians chapter 6 for a moment. Galatians chapter 6. So many of the great themes we've been talking about as we've been talking these last few weeks about these different approaches to different disciples comes into play, and uh, particularly what we're talking about today, where you want to bear the burdens of others, but you want to not be a burden if you can, uh, if, if you can work. Uh, we're just going to read verses 1 through 10. He says there, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, this is Galatians chapter 6, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So you have faith in Christ, and you're under His law. His law is to love one another in His name, to uh, believe in God, John, 1 John says, and love one another. That's the summary of all the commands. All that you're commanded to do can be summed up in belief and love. So bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Verse 4, but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Look at verse 5, for each one will have to bear his own load. Okay, so there is a time when we help each other out, we're bearing each other's burdens, but it doesn't mean some that can help refuse to uh, generate so that they can help, right? Because it says they're bear your own load. Why? So you can be able to bear one another's burdens. Verse 6, let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we will do not give up. And so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of the faith. So, in 1 Timothy 5, he says, if you don't provide for your own family, you're worse than an infidel. And so as you are able to generate income, what happens is you meet your own needs, the needs of your family, then your church family, and as able, you keep on extending it out to other great Christian organizations and all the way to the end of, uh, you know, in your community and all the other ways as you're able. And I am so thankful for all the many of you that have such, been such great examples of this uh, throughout your lives. Uh, I know you're 
uh, somewhat troubled as I am with the news that in July, um, we as an Americans had the biggest debt month in our recorded history. And we're told that 230 million new credit cards were activated during the month of July. I think I heard that number right. And a good number of them are being used to put basic food and clothing items on there. And that shows real trouble as people, you know, are, are really... Uh, the, the bill will come due at some time. The interest will accumulate in those different things. And so part of the problem we have is our own appetites being so much more than what we should have. And the other problem is inflation now flaming things all the more. And a lot of people are in a lot of trouble. And so it makes me all the more thankful for those of you who have worked your whole life to prepare for days that wouldn't be as good. And you're in a position not only to help yourself, but others as able. And of course, the church delights in helping people too. And we follow that same model, starting with members and going out as we can. And uh, we're so thankful to be in that position. The Bible's doctrine of vocation demolishes the distinction we made between secular and sacred and views all work as the high calling of God in your life. And so uh, one thing I love about the Bible is how it makes, uh, it, it just says that everything you do can be a matter of faith and beauty as you serve the Lord Jesus. Vocation is simply a Latin type word that talks about calling. And, you know, sometimes we put the preacher on a pedestal, we put missionaries on a pedestal, etc. But the Bible makes clear that when you have a task to do and you do it for the Lord, you're glorifying Him the same way as the music leader when they're leading music and the preacher when they're preaching. And so that's why I like to talk to you about 5G living. And let's see how good you're doing on that, because we talk about it every once in a while. We're supposed to do everything we do for the glory of God, right? We're supposed to do everything we do for the good of our fellow man. We're supposed to do everything we do to help our fellow believers grow in their faith. We're supposed to do everything we do to help get the gospel to non-believers. And we're supposed to do everything we do with a grateful heart. And so I hope you understand that in your calling in life, now some of you are retired, you've already done that You've worked at something, and I hope you had satisfaction in doing it, like the book of Ecclesiastes says. Now you're retired, you've got hours that you can glorify the Lord with in so many different ways. But I think about how God has a purpose and plan and wants us to feel right and good about all uh, you know, working to provide for our own needs and those of our families, but also that what we do really matters. So people need tires. Some of you make them. People need cars. Some of you sell them or rent them. People need homes. You build them. They need food. You grow it. They have children who need teaching. You help teach them. They need doctoring and nursing. You give them medical care. They need protection. You serve as a first responder. They need spiritual leaders, and here we are. And in whatever God has given you to be about in your life, it is good not to be idle. It is wonderful to find the way that you make the world a better place for Jesus and do it. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. I love how practical the um, book of Proverbs is in the principles that it gives for living. 
And sometimes it just stops and has us consider the way we ought to be. And so there's all kinds of contrast between the righteous and the unrighteous. There's contrast between things like the hard worker and the sluggard. And so in verse 6 of Proverbs chapter 6, and we'll read down through verse 11, we hear about the ant, and we're supposed to be like the industrious ant. It says, go to the ant, O sluggard, go to the ant, lazy person, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So what does the ant do? The diligent ant, the industrious ant, works hard and is prepared for what's coming. The idle sluggard is lazy and is unprepared for what's coming. And uh, so many examples of both those things uh, here in our area. I'll tell you, it is a I just love Danville, Virginia. I love Pennsylvania County. And we certainly have examples uh, of folks that won't work in our midst, you know, but I am so thankful for those that were diligent and excelled. And, you know, we have some amazing people that came right out of Danville, Virginia. Uh, I remember the same week that we learned that uh, a Tunstall graduate was an all-star in the Major League Baseball game. We also learned that a Dan River graduate was the project manager for the James Webb Telescope, giving us all those great pictures from outer space. And uh, Jim folks told me he went to school with uh, that man uh, back in the day, which is really neat. Um, and it is so cool to think about that if you apply yourself, students, if you apply yourself, you can make as big a difference as anybody makes right here growing up in Danville, Virginia and its surrounding area. Well, what does this look like for a student? Well, a diligent student comes home from school and gets his homework done before doing something like playing video games or watching TV. Uh, the idle student plays the video games first and often doesn't get all their homework done well. And so the homework ought to be a reward for, I mean, the games ought to be a reward for getting the homework done and being ready for the next day. For adults, the same can be said of housework or yard work. You know, you watch so much TV, you spend so much time on social media, and uh, sometimes things don't get done around the house. Uh, spending a little bit of time on those things in moderation should be the reward for getting things done around the house. But let's remember, there's more to this word idle here than being lazy. Lazy's in there, but we learn from the root of the word that it's also the concept of not showing up for work or service. It's the opposite of understanding where you fit as a servant of Christ. And I think this is why Paul said that we want to keep away from idle disciples. Some people think he's even calling for church discipline there. I don't see that. Uh, but I do see that uh, it reinforces the scripture talking about how bad company will corrupt good morals. And uh, I think about how the negative behavior of those that uh, were being busybodies there um, didn't just infect themselves, it influenced others around them. So look again at 2 Thessalonians 3.11. He says, We hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. In other words, just constantly meddling where you don't need to be meddling in those things. And I think about how whether it's a sports team, a church, a Sunday school class, a ministry, a school environment, whatever it is, negative words and behavior spread like cancer in an organization, don't they? 
You, you know, I'll tell you what, when some person's there and they're not really contributing a whole lot to making the place a better place, but they are able like those two, remember those judges in the Muppet show, you know, stood in the up in the top and just criticized everything going on below. There's lots of people telling you how it ought to be done or this being done, and they're criticizing the workers why they're doing it, you know, and that is a very negative thing to happen. It's so cool to have positive people of faith. Uh, build life into your small group, build life into your church, build life into your team. It makes all the difference. And these folks here, it says they were idle. They were unruly. They weren't in their place of service and were criticizing others for trying to get done what God would have uh, them to get done. We hear that some of you, he says, walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Well, according to verse 11, the idle Thessalonians were committing what I would call a double theft. <laughs> they were not generating the positive work or volunteer service themselves, and they were distracting others from getting done what the Lord would have them get done. So not only were they not achieving their own potential, they were keeping others from achieving theirs. That's a double theft, right? It's uh, twice, as, uh, twice as much doesn't get done in that type of situation. Well, I added volunteer service there to recognize that this also applies to volunteer work when the body of Christ gathers. Ephesians 4.16, the second part says, when each part of the body of Christ is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So when we each do our part, the body grows, right? But when one or more of us don't do our part, the work of the church is hindered. So God has a part for each of us to play, the same as a sports team. The same as an organization. Idle Christians don't do their part to help the thing grow and often distract other Christians from joyful service. I call it a double theft. No value added by you, you little value added by the one you distract. Well, look at verse 12. He says, now such persons we command and encourage. <laughs> command and encourage, I like that. Rather you do it because you want to, because you're convicted about it. But if not, I'm an apostle, Paul says, and I'm commanding you in the Lord Jesus Christ, to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Now, let me say again, we're not talking about those who once worked hard and can't physically do what they used to do. We're not talking about disability. We're talking, not talking about circumstances beyond your control, some seasons when we're laid up for a while or something like that. There are so many ways for you also to work hard in the Lord. And some of the hardest workers are our retirees. And there is gold in them, our pews. And you know, uh, right now, if you look at Southern Baptist mission work around the world, one of the keys to it happening is people that retire in their 50s and then go be missionaries three years at a time somewhere around the world. And so it's a giant army of folks that have retired after doing much good that away, then getting to serve like that. And of course, many of our ministries are staffed by some of the same folks. Uh, some of the hardest prayers, those that pray are those that are disabled, aren't able to do a lot physically, but man, they are shaking, uh, they're, uh, shaking heaven with their requests as they are like the widow that Jesus described that kept asking, kept asking, and they ask in the name of the Lord, and God answers those prayers. Let's also understand that we're not talking about any salvation by works here. Uh, no, no. You know, when you think about it, salvation does have everything to do with works, but it's Christ who did the work, right? And we couldn't do anything to add into that. We receive salvation as God's gift to us through our faith in Jesus. 
and his grace is drawing us in and we respond in faith. But then Galatians 5, 6 says that all that matters now is faith working through love. That God has something for each of us to do to help advance his kingdom on earth. We're talking about here about the privilege that believers have to advance the cause of Christ on earth. Here's what Paul said about himself in this regard. His understanding of grace along with his desire to work hard for the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 10 and 11, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. He said, I understand grace. I'm nothing without grace. But I also understand that God has asked me to give him my best, and I'm giving him my best in service. We're saved by God through our faith, and our faith works through love all around us. I like how William Carey said it, expect great things, attempt great things. And that was quickly modified to expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. We'll look at chapter 3, verse 13, 2 Thessalonians. It says, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. We already saw from Galatians 6, he says, do not grow weary in doing good because in due season we will reap if we don't give up. So my challenge for you today is to not go AWOL, brothers and sisters. God has a place for you to fit right in, to fit right in into orderly service for him. He has something that will only get done if you do it. So instead of going AWOL, keep showing up, keep suiting up, keep looking up until he comes. God will use every one of our efforts to advance the cause of Christ in our generation. I like the two-word challenge to add value wherever I go. Every one of us can add value every day wherever we go and everywhere we are. Add value. Let me ask you the question. Do you add value? Do you say, okay, I, I, in, in each and every situation in life, when I get out and drive my car on the road, I'm going to add value to all the drivers on the road. I'm not going to be one of those guys, that's, gals that's part of the problem. In my driving, I'm going to be part of the solution. Do you see trash, and instead of saying, man, it's terrible that other people tr uh, trash this place, do you say, I can pick up a little bit as I go? Do you do that as you go around the church? Oh, look, somebody dropped trash on the floor. Oh, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. Maybe somebody inadvertently did it, and you can pick up the trash and put it right in the trash can, right? That center column of the bulletin had all kinds of ways to pitch in. Now, if you're not gifted or talented in an area, you don't want to get into something that's going to be there, your responsibility for the next 20 years, right? But sometimes there is just a one-time assignment, and you say, well, I don't have the gift of service, but they need people to help with tables and chairs uh, to set up for homecoming. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to add value to that moment. Other times you go, okay, I've got a gift for teaching. I need to talk to the staff and find some way to be teaching, you know and you want to do that over the years as time passes, you're adding value. Well, do you? Do you? Do you, do you make, is the same thing happening at work and at school? Uh, if, there's, if your workplace or school is a dark place without a lot of light there, are you bringing the salt in, the Christian salt in, the savory influence? Are you bringing the light in to light up that situation? Uh, you know what? Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, when I was... Um, 
youth pastor. We sent our students into the schools and we'd have them write verses on, uh, you know, verses and anonymous notes to some of the people in the school that they thought needed to hear encouragement. We just have them drop them in their lockers, you know, and we'd uh, sometimes students would report, you know, I held back a little bit and looked down the hall and saw that person get the note out of their locker and they were looking around, you know, and they saw a Bible verse on there and something that was really neat for them to hear about being loved by God and, and, and their expression brightened when they got that adding value wherever you go. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Will you bow your heads? Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.